Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we are super psyched to introduce you to our guest, who's here to talk with us about what it means to be a healthy empath. Mike is a holistic health coach, intuitive healer, and empath. He's also a combat veteran who has healed through PTSD and now guides people along their own healing journeys to awaken their gifts and turn pain into purpose. Using a variety of energy methods and his skill at getting to the heart of the matter, Mike has coached numerous empaths to greater health, vitality, and a deeper sense of love and trust in their bodies, hearts, and souls. Mike, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I'd love for you to start by sharing with listeners a bit about your experience through your own spiritual awakening. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, it's an honor. And I would love to share that with you. And just, yeah, again, thank you for the opportunity to express myself here. So throughout this journey, I usually take it back to two kind of different aha moments. And the first one was after, well, towards that, the end of college, I was, you know, in undergrad studying nutrition. And I just, you know, decided to, I would start doing my own research out outside of what was you know being taught in the regular curriculum and just whatever was of interest to me and so I decided to you know just start playing around with there trying different diets and and then so on doing that what happened was uh, this was you know, I'm not giving credit to paleo diet per se but that, that, that just happened to what it be that's not how I eat or what I advocate for but that's just what it was at that time and so basically it was the first time I ever you know didn't eat all of, you know, all these processed foods and just, you know, anything that might be causing, you know, some type of inflammation or reactions within my body. And then I, within like a few days, I felt absolutely like incredible. And just like my brain, you know, came online. It felt like for the first time ever, you know, I'd always had a lot of brain fog and just kind of felt a little slow and lethargic. And then, so I had this experience of being like, oh my, wow, like I'm, I'm not stuck the way I am. And then that was like the first aha that really led me from then on to just like becoming basically obsessed with just, you know, learning and experimenting and seeing how I can go, you know, deeper into myself and how I can continually just like feel better. And that really opened the doors. And then of course that didn't, you know, solve all my problems, right? But going along throughout this journey, so obviously there's a lot of different things that I can and stories I can share within here, but fast forward a few years and kind of to the next aha moment and which was more along like the the spiritual realms right because I, I just was you know, reading so much and then so you start to learn about you know spiritual concepts concepts and teachings and you know, especially with food right that transition because I started learning about like you know mindful eating and emotional eating and then there was a lot of references to uh you know Buddhism and all these different like you know things that I never really knew much about and so I just was, you know, becoming open-minded, really in philosophy and, you know, getting deeper into spirituality. And then I was in Mexico in Playa del Carmen and met someone who was saying, well, we found this dog the first day or second day we were there and we ended up keeping her and we were there for six months. And then we were just like curious about her. And then we met this woman at this restaurant and she was like, oh, I'm like clairvoyant. Do you mind if I like, you know, just like connect with her? I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure. And, you know, so she like told us some stuff about what she was some impressions she was getting about the dog. And then she ended up like sitting with uh, you know, me and my wife and another friend and doing like a little bit of like kinda, you know, healing with all of us. And then when she came to me, she says, oh, I think you'd be uh, interested in something called theta healing. And because you know, it's known to, to be an effective method for reprogramming the con subconscious mind. And I was like, sign me up because that's what I had already been reading about, but not from this like spiritual context. So like, how do I do that? So I just, you know, got the book and read it and started practicing and implementing and just noticing immediate benefits and shifts within myself and just, you know, started having like these experiences. I started getting very just intense chills, like all the time when people were talking or when I would think about something and I was practicing on someone and, you know, I was doing like the technique and I just like did something in my head. I didn't even say anything. And then all of a sudden she had this like huge reaction related to what we were working on. I was like, how did me just wow. saying something in my head have her have this huge reaction where she just like starts laughing and she was like floating around and, you know, just so happy and like high for the rest of the evening. So I was like, I got to learn more. So I signed up for the closest one uh, training or weekend that I could go to. And I was in Miami. So I flew there, met my cousin, and then just had this whole world open up. Like just, you know, it was absolutely incredible and just like so much trauma release. And just, you know, I was just like right, like shaking and convulsing at some points. There's so much energy flowing in me, just us crying an absolute ton and, you know, got high off unconditional love. Like with my cousin, we were just like skipping around Miami, like singing, frolicking together. We were like, what is happening? And so that, that was like the second aha. Uh -huh. And then we like kind of looked at each other 
uh, specifically uh, talking about like men, like you talked about before, like, like, wow, other men need to know about this. So those are like the two big aha experiences that I had. And then, yeah, I'd be happy to go into more um, detail. Those are really big moments. And I love the way the first one, I feel you kind of went out and saw it, but the second one just kind of landed in your lap in Mexico, which is always indicative, I feel, of us being on the right path. Now, I understand I'm asking you really big, broad questions like, how did you get here? Tell us your life story in two minutes or less. But I have another broad question if you could answer in <laughs> two sentences or less. No, I'm kidding. But what for people who don't know, what is Theta Healing? Theta Healing is a, a type of energy healing. It's a modality that um, was kind of, I guess, brought to being by this woman. So it's just, yeah, it's an energy, you know, you connect with the universal energy, God, creator. In the book, they call it, uh, you know, the creator of all that is. So you connect with the creator, you use that that energy, that source energy to then make, you know, commands to, to do the energy healing with that. So if somebody has a belief that's, you know, some type of limiting belief, like, you know, if I you know, if I have money, then I'll be in pain, right? Going back to like this past experience where you know, maybe uh, you know, your parents got divorced over money. So now you have these negative associations with money and you never really let yourself have a lot of money because you associate pain with it. So you could, you know, use this technique to find the, the beliefs and then change the beliefs within the subconscious mind. Wow, that's powerful. Okay, so during this time, were you serving in the military or had you already left? This was probably six or seven years after not after I got out of there, after my deployment, which is kind of how I reference being in it, because that's right, that's the, the biggest right. event. So that was in yeah, 2010. I deployed to Afghanistan. And this was probably around 2006 or 2007. No, I'm saying the wrong dates. 17. <laughs> 2016, 2017. It was yeah, years later. During this time where you're in college and then you're deploying to Afghanistan, you're doing all these, you know, really physical things with your body and, and with your service to the country. Were you aware that you had this whole spiritual side to you? No, I wasn't. Yeah, which is I sometimes I differ from there from a lot of empaths or a lot of like my clients because they talk about all these things that they remember from a kid and these dreams that they used to have and all this stuff. And I was like, really? I, I never really had any of that. I learned more about kind of why I was not aware. And then it wasn't until that got like really broken open however many years later after the deployment and then it all just kind of like came flooding in from there. See, I think that's really important for people to hear because I think a lot of people feel as though they must have these experiences as a child in order to awaken to inner gifts now. Don't you think that's kind of like a myth that's out there? Yeah, I think so. And then people just be like, oh, you know, that person's so gifted, that person's so talented and, you know, for whatever reason, but that's, yeah, really not how it works. And there's different reasons why that may not have manifested for you yet. And then different types of you know trauma have to do with that as well because that you know suppresses it and then birth trauma is a pretty big thing so if you've experienced a lot of birth trauma that that can just from immediately you're already shutting those senses off but that doesn't have anything to do with you know the depth or the capacity that you have for those abilities you talk a little bit about PTSD in your in your podcast on your website in your story were you aware that you had PTSD before this spiritual awakening no, I'll, not in the in that kind of sense. And so this is kind of funny too. So, and then it, I really wasn't even until about six months after that experience that I talked about in Miami, then did I really get that realization and even ended up going to like the VA and, you know, they kind of like go through the whatever process to get diagnosed. And that's where, you know, they, they said that. And at, the, at first it was like a, a huge relief. <laughs> and because I remember like doing all this, you know, intense work after that. And, you know, some stuff did come up when I when I was on that weekend about it, but I did never really like associate it as like PTSD. And then so and then I was like, I wonder, like, what, what can I keep working on? Like, what's happening? And then it was just and then six months later, like that came up. And I remember like talking to my wife about it and she just like laughed as in like, duh, <laughs> you know, you idiot. like obviously, whereas like in my mind, I had absolutely no clue. Like I knew, you know, we all got back and we were all, yeah, more irritable and angry and short tempered. But like, you don't think of that as like, you know, this chronic stimulation to your nervous system that actually does affect your day to day life. See that, that fascinates me. I, I'm not claiming that I had PTSD, but when my former husband was shot in the line of duty, the three days, the first three days he was in the hospital, I did have to speak to someone because every time I would sit for a minute or close my eyes to try and sleep, all I would see over and over like a bad tape was the doorbell ringing and all those police cars in my street. 
and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I remember the, the chaplain and the therapist at the hospital said, oh, that's PTSD. So I've always had this belief that when I hear so-and-so suffers from PTSD, that that's what they're dealing with, this constant barrage of images and sounds. From what I've heard you talk about, it's not like that. It's not, I don't want to say it's more subtle. It's almost more prevalent in the way that you carry it. So could you just talk about what that feels and looks like on a daily basis before you recognize and release it? So it, it can be very subtle, right? It's like your own, your, your nervous system is still is living in a different time, right? It's not living in your current present reality. And, you know, so it's re reacting to things differently, or you could even say like inappropriately in a way, um, you know, that's something that's not really warranted, right? You, see, you feel threatened and not safe when in actuality you are. And then an another thing and kind of like problem with someone like, you know, myself and then other people who compare themselves to me, right? And I could compare myself to, you know, people at worst is like, oh, you're not allowed to have PTSD because, you know, we didn't, you didn't suffer bad enough, right? Like, look at, you know, the guys who invaded, you know, Fallujah or look at, you know, who were in like this, you know, area of Afghanistan who had it like far worse or look at, you know, the guys in World War II, like, you know, that's how you get it. You know, you don't, get it from whatever kind of like general like experiences I had, right? It wasn't like every single day kind of combat. So it was like, yeah, you compare it to that. And you're like, and then some people would like hear my stories and you know and be like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can have that because I never experienced anything like that. But that's really just not how it works at all. And it's not up to you to decide, right? It's what you're experiencing in your nervous system. And then you know, it can also be from just like, you know, not getting what you needed as a child, right? Instead of necessarily what happened to you as a child. Like, you know, if you had an abusive parent, it could be just, you know, you have you know, from parents who weren't, you know, available to you and that, you know, causes that, you know, that stress and, you know, that threat to your nervous system. But then, so going forward for me, when I was super into all this health stuff, you know, at this time, you know, it was like, so you asked what that's like on a day-to-day -day basis. So is for me, right. I was in order to maintain just like an even keel every single day. It was like, I felt like I had to exercise. I had to meditate. I had to do breath work. I was constantly, you know, reading and, you know, listening to, podcasts, but as a way to just, you know, so I could block everything out. And so this like addiction to learning really in a way that kind of took it away. So I had to, you know, I had to eat healthy, I had to do this. And if I did anything wrong or off, then I, my mood would be completely off. So I, that's when I realized I was coping, I wasn't actually healing and going deeper into yeah, like the releasing the emotion and calming the nervous system. And then to the point where when I was in Portugal working, you know, traveling with my wife and working online, when, working on a new business, you know, my appendix burst when I was in Portugal, so was, there was just so much unnecessary stress that was connected to everything, right? Um, the, 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 un, the not knowing, you know, doing all these like, you know, things that we had to do, not knowing where the money was going to come from, and like figuring out all these things, to the point where my body just my appendix burst, because it was just, you know, too much for me to handle. So that's kind of what it I hope that answers the question of what it looks like on like the day to day when you don't really know what's happening. It does. And thank you for sharing that because that's something Denise and I have been learning and talking about on the show a lot. We read that book, Childhood Disrupted, and she talks about that in, in that book about how if you had a childhood where you just didn't feel safe on a daily basis, whether it was physical or emotional safety, that can result in these chronic stress situations. And so I like how you talk about almost like it's a competition, you know, like you didn't serve in this combat situation. So you can't have be as bad off as this guy. And that's so ridiculous, because we all have to meet ourselves where we are on this path. Exactly. On your website, Mike, thehealthyempath.com, you really put it beautifully about the importance of like a holistic wellness support for people. And that feels like what the basis of a lot of your work is based around is, you know, when you braid sweetgrass, the mantra is mind, body, spirit as you're braiding. And I really feel like your site and your work exemplifies that. But one of the things that you really focus on for folks is about weight management or control. And I think for a lot of empaths, there, there can be weight issues because we'll hold that to protect ourselves or that's been self you know, a reward system. Could you touch on that a little bit about how you help people address those core issues that might be keeping them stuck in those unhealthy patterns as empaths? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. And so this just bringing it, connecting it to what I was just talking about, safety. 
um, that's really so much of it all comes down to that. Um, and even, you know, the heart rate variability, you know, the HRV is an, a metric that's becoming extremely popular for, you know, assessing health in a lot of regards and just, you know, the, the health and strength of your nervous system. And even, you know, like the, a lot of the scientists who study that, they might look at it from a more of a evolutionary perspective, but you know, they'll even say like, HRV really has to do with safety. And then so looking at yeah, PTSD, right? Your nervous system's threatened safety. And then so if we're looking at weight, then of course, you know, weight problems can have a hundred different reasons that it is, but I'm sure you know, safety would be a very common theme throughout all of them. So not just safety as in, oh, you know, this physical weight on my body actually makes me feel you know, more safe, you know, just like kind of like protective layer, but actual, you know, the food that you're eating to create that, you know, experience within your body, you know, that is making you feel safe, you know, because, you know, maybe you're using the food to block out certain emotions, right? Or when you get overwhelmed, you just eat. And so you're not actually feeling and then you just start eating. So it could happen in a lot of different ways. And so it's yeah, about like looking at those different beliefs and what is going on in the subconscious mind, because you know, we know so much about how you know, the body mind connection and that they are one, again, this coming out in mainstream science now, and then also just from that intuitive perspective, where you kind of just get these things from the energetic realm, and then you understand that too, figuring out what's going on in the subconscious mind to yeah create that because you know the body doesn't lie the body keeps the score so if there is that experience that you're having and you say you don't want it and you're doing everything there's still something within there that could be creating it so it can be very helpful to realize what that is for yourself and you could do that through meditation journaling working with someone to figure out what some of those core beliefs are and why you may be holding on to that weight and do you feel safe and then it's even yeah it could be related to food but then it's also related to your relationship and your partner maybe if there's, you know, a lot of people I worked with have, there's a history of sexual abuse or just abusive relationships. So it could be a subconscious way to either keep your husband away from you or, um, you know, if you're not married or something like that, and then it could be yeah, another way to just kind of keep eyes off of you to just, you know, be alone to, you know, you don't want anyone near you. Don't you want anyone to talk to you, right? Because on that subconscious level in the nervous system, you don't feel safe. So you're trying to keep people and things away from you. Thank you. That's helpful. Yeah, it really is because empaths do tend to carry that protective shield of weight with them. But I really liked your example too of focusing on distraction through fitness and nutrition and educating yourself through podcasts and books is also another way that we distract ourselves from what our subconscious is really trying to tell us. And I think that's going to help a lot of people because so often we think, oh, it's just a negative addiction that we need to be on the lookout for. But really there are, I don't know if you could call them positive addictions, but I, I think focusing on education is, you know, a positive, but the way you are describing it, it makes sense. It's like just putting up another buffer between you and, and your true thoughts. When you were going through this awakening, first of all, I love that, that your wife was right there with you because so many times we hear from listeners who are going through this spiritual awakening and they don't have that support system. Do you have any advice for people who are going through this alone or did you have to like talk your wife into this? How did that work for you? Well, I would say you're not alone <laughs> first and really just, you know, so if you do find a position where you are feeling alone, then really, you know, using that to your, actually, I was talking to someone the other day, we were talking about where we yeah, was at a little, little group circle that we had and they were saying how, you know, during you know, right now with, you know, kind of like lockdowns, everyone's staying at home, how when you're you know with your family right it makes you you just want to be alone <laughs> and then you know the people who who are alone during this are like wow i'd really love you know somebody to be sharing this experience with um so we both kind of you know, no matter where you are you, you can have the same level of frustration with whatever it is but you're like look to the other things like oh that would be so good so yeah that grass is always greener <laughs> yeah so it's like the people who are you know the couples are like oh my gosh get me away from this person and then the people are alone is like wow i really could use a, a partner here to be with this <laughs> Um, but, um, and then, oh yeah. So going through with the partner, yeah, this is, it just, for us, I don't know, maybe it's luck or whatever. It just kind of naturally happened that we both got into it and interested at the same time. Yeah. There wasn't really any convincing that we needed. And it was just, it was just it's like such a deep experience that we started to experience the, together with like these openings and these sensations and just like, you know, what, what is going on here? So, um, it wasn't, yeah, this, uh, I don't have any great like relationship advice on how to get your, you know, partner who's not into this. How do you get them into this stuff? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it unfortunately comes back to right just focusing on yourself and you know your work and using you know whatever.
whatever tools you have that are available. And this goes to like anything, just knowing you have everything that you need wherever you are. And then using that to create, it's almost like it's all around you. You just may not see it yet. So just kind of being, allowing it all to come from you as it develops into, you know, that relationship that you want or that partner that you want. But there's a reason why you're in the current experience that you're in. Oh, well said. And and you're right. Everything you need is around you. We do have to take action steps towards it, but it will find us just like it found you in Mexico. Like each, each step, you can see how you were led to the next path on your journey. Yeah. And I think trust is big there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I when I talked to you, hey, you were talking about how you, yeah, you, you picked like the, the word for the year kind of thing. Right. Uh, so, so I, yeah, I decided to, to do that as well. And, and the word that came up was trust. And yeah, I think that's so important right now. And I was just writing something about like this idea of unconditional trust, right? And just really finding it within you to trust, even if it doesn't look like it's trustworthy, but doing it anything, or if you don't know why, you know, why is this happening? Why am I still alone? Why won't my you know partner get into this? Like, but holding that trust anyway, and not saying, you know, once, once you bring that partner to me, or, you know, once my you know, partner opens up to this, you know, then I'll really believe, then I'll really trust. I think it's so important to just start unconditionally trusting and that will really open doors quicker i think oh that's a great word of the year you know you touched upon this a little bit before but i want to circle back to it because it's a question we get a lot when you were traveling to portugal and traveling to mexico and taking these classes and these workshops and really shifting your life and and your career and your work there were some financial worries because, you know, that takes time and money. What advice would you give to people who are wanting to take this leap of faith to invest in themselves, but are worried about the financial aspect of it? How, how did you get through that? Trust. <laughs> yeah. With that, when I actually first started doing the, that healing work and the, yeah, after that, that weekend, right. And then I just, you know, I was already doing like health coaching and stuff there, but I wasn't really bringing this element. I pretty much almost like dropped all that other stuff. And I was like, no, this is it. This is all you need. This is amazing. And I only started doing that. And then of course, realized that wasn't the case. And now doing a combination of all of it. But when pe the people who started coming to me actually were coming to me um, about money stuff. And so we were, you know, using theta healing. And then I've, I kind of just like developed my own you know, method after that. But um, we were using these techniques to work on on money and beliefs around money. And so find, you know, and I did a lot of that on myself. And I, I even saw some really cool things like people report back like, oh, we just did that. And then all of a sudden, you know, this, you know, my old job realized they, you know, they forgot to pay me like 10 grand, just like all these like random little things. And so it is like cool to, to do that. But I would say, and I did so much of that, but that didn't never made magic money magically appear, right? You know, and it's still a thing, right? I think I mentioned to you, I have a recently started a moving company. And so there's, you know, ebbs and flows with that, like constantly, and it's always wondering uh, where is it going to come from? How many moves are going to be booked? How many of this? How many of that? So yeah, throughout it all, it's been, you know, a great teacher, you know, just using it as a teacher to learn about yourself and kind of like we talked about before with the weight, like going into the subconscious and figuring out what is going on there. And then, and then also really, and then having realistic expectations and realizing that it, you know, it might not shift overnight, but if you can start to shift how you feel about it, then you're really making space to, to work on it and to trust that you are supported. So if someone is looking to take, take the leap of faith into this, so I took that leap of faith and just started doing it and, you know, without having another income. And actually, I don't recommend that. That's, I definitely am an advocate of don't quit your day job even though that's not what I did. And there was great growth through it. But looking back, I was like, actually, that, that was kind of dumb. But I just I did have such a strong conviction. Um, I was like, No, I, I know, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I, I just I did it anyway. And there, there was a lot of pain associated with it. But then there was that opened up to a lot of, you know, incredible things happening at the same time. So somebody did, did do it. You know, I, you know, that's what I did. I, I, I just didn't want to be the one to who, who told them to do it. But yeah, even now, you know, with whatever it is, oh, the moving company that I have and everything else, it's really, I am brought back to trust and just not looking so far forward sometimes. And then just, you know, what's the next right step? What's the next one thing I can do? What's the next right action? And then just going step by step, day by day, you know, taking baby steps, I think is, you know, and focusing on that is going to be really helpful instead of thinking like so big picture that makes it like overwhelming and you don't know where the money's going to come from. And then just be like, okay, well, do I have money right now? Or, oh, am I safe right now? And always coming back 
to that safety and security. And then another quick story here. So I've been doing you know healing work around this for for years, right? It's just something that uh, you know keeps coming up because it allows for you to go deeper into yourself into deeper layers. And I was having feeling some anxiety, right? It's just obviously I knew this was coming. It's just you know it's winter here in New Hampshire, slow season with the moving company. So I knew there would be some just the down season, but it still was kind of causing the sense of anxiety. So I d- decided to go deeper into the anxiety and the feeling there and you know i was able to trace it back to how i felt when i was in afghanistan towards the end of the deployment there when i you know i didn't feel safe i i just i i wanted to go home and i was worried about oh what's going to happen tomorrow what's going to happen today what's going to happen next week is every you know are we are we going to get hit today like i don't want to deal with any of this again like you know uh, who, who's going to hit the id today blah 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 just like all these thoughts and just was like that, that you know towards the end of it even though it was a pretty calm like past few months but i just remember like this intense like dread and fear that i started to experience just really wanting to go home and then so when i was looking in my current situation found that the emotions and the feelings were coming from that and so for this particular scenario i the way to how i was able to kind of like clear those emotions or just feel better or more so processing it was recognizing you know the scared boy that was in me and letting him you know, basically my inner child and letting him know it's okay to be afraid and so i just had the you know, just in my own internal experience you know turned to that part of myself and said that and then that anxiety I completely cleared and I haven't really felt that since since that time. So that's a you know an example of how we can go into our subconscious, feel where things are coming from, you know, realizing that what we're reacting to isn't probably what we're necessarily um, reacting to so that we can feel better. And when you feel more empowered, when you feel better, that's when you can make better decisions and you can trust and you can you know move forward towards you know your goals and your path. Powerful advice. Thank you for that story too. Yeah, you know what's really cool is you you have a foot in both worlds. You have a foot in this spiritual, open, you know, I'm going to grow and evolve all these things. And I'm a health coach, but equally you have a background and your profession is a moving company. You're probably working with some fairly masculine people. And, and I mean, isn't about gender. It's more about the energy of that, but I am going to go to gender for just a minute with this because I'm the mother of sons and They're both empathic in different ways. My father was an empath before anybody even knew what that was. And I know it's different to navigate the world as a male empath because the rules are different. And and anybody that wants to blast the show or or me on that, please feel free. I'd love to chat about it. Can you go into that a little bit of how can men better navigate being an empath in the way the world is? Or how can the people who are with these men in their lives to help support them on their path. When it comes to so this stuff, some some realizations and experiences that I've had, right? Because I you know I even maintain friends with you know a couple of people from the army, some of my childhood friends, college friends. It reminds me of a saying I heard a while ago. I forget from who we're talking about like yeah, right. Like people when you start to like not vibe with them, it's like oh, just don't go as often, don't stay as long, right? So you can still, <laughs> you can still be with these people. You know, you can they you know they, there's still aspects of you that you can express to them. So for me, it was like kind of realizing that I don't need to like take this to to everyone. So you know, when I'm with those friends, like they're, they're aware of it. And I'm not like afraid to talk about it if they ask, but I don't really like, you know, push anything on them. And you know, I'm still able to just like recognize the relationship that we have and, you know, what in like different relationships are for different things. So not needing to yeah, to do all that. And then when it comes to the, the moving company and the movers there, you know, most of them are not like, they're like right, I don't even know I have podcasts. I just, right. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe, yeah, maybe there's some parts of me that, that just, isn't fully ready to express all of that to the whole world but the, the way i'm kind of at it right now is just one it's not a secret if anyone talks about it we talk about it and i just you know i don't if they're talking about something that i'm not comfortable talking about with or the energy doesn't feel right then i you know i don't i just don't engage so it's really it's about like at least having outlets for your expression right if you don't feel comfortable taking that you know everywhere with you yeah so yeah being able to celebrate like you know the I have this and I have clients and I have, you know, friends that I talk to on a weekly basis and monthly basis where we have, yeah, we get into all this stuff and that's when I feel the most excited, the, you know, the most alive, but that doesn't mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to cut off the whole world. So I just, you know, maintain, you kind of like maintain your, your ground, your composure in those other spaces. And I also, I coach at a gym too, where not everyone there necessarily knows the, they all know. I tell them like, oh yeah, I usually work like empaths and they go, oh, like, what's that? But I don't really like go super deep into like the extent of it all because 
I don't think you have to do that with everyone. And so if you are a man and you find yourself in a situation where, you know, you are, you know, realizing that you are more, you know, highly sensitive and you're become interested in you know, these kind of things that maybe other people aren't, then I say start to just find outlets for that expression. And then, right, that will open the doors for people to come into your life where you can be fully seen and heard. And that doesn't mean you have to cut yourself off from everyone else. It's just, you know, if you're not comfortable with sharing that part of yourself with them, then then don't do it. But just make sure that you do have somewhere or something that you can start to open up and really have that with. And then actually one other thing that comes up is has to do with like the inner autonomy, inner knowing, and even like inner authority too, right? Like this, what, you know, what it means to be masculine or not and start to figure out what that does mean for you because it, it has nothing to do with being being macho right it's more has to do with being balanced and you know you can't have a healthy ma- masculine if you don't have a healthy feminine so just start to really explore what that means to you and and then start to own that and you know i've definitely opened up to that and like certain friends you know I've cried and like so you know be talking about something i'm passionate about and, like start crying in front of other people and just embrace those opportunities or i remember when a few years ago when my grandmother passed you know she kind of like told me to do the the eulogy and i was like oh no way but i at the same time i knew that i had to and then so just like getting up front of those those people and then so, so i just like you know wrote this from the heart cried half the time in front of in front of everyone because you feel it now as i say it but then the amount of men and people that came up to me afterwards they were so jealous they even said that um, like just like almost like blown away and like that I could even like do that. And they were like, just wowed. And then my grandfather, not the, not the husband, but on the other side who I didn't even think he could hear or anything. Like he came up to me or when I went up to him, he like grabbed my hand and he just like t- the way he like said it and everything was, was so different about it. And just the words that he said, like he didn't even say that great. He started to say great speech. He goes, no, not great speech. Great expressing yourself. And just like the way he said that hit me so hard. And I knew immediately that that was, you know, like a breaking of this karmic, you know, line of men who don't know how to express themselves, right? Because even my dad was just afterwards, like, who are you, right? Like, who's not in a bad way, just like amazed. And a lot of people were. And so I think, yeah, you just also look for those opportunities away where you can express yourselves and don't be afraid to do it. So we can start to break those lines of this wounded type of masculine and people who don't know how to express themselves. I think that's so important. And I I like that you don't force who you are onto people that you meet because we have to meet people where they are on their path and give them grace and accept them, you know, for where they are. I have a friend and her husband is that he's very much aligned with his masculine side and hasn't gotten in touch with his feminine side. And they lost a pet who was like another child. And my friend was crying and upset, obviously. And her husband said to her, I feel painful, but I don't know how to express it. And she said, gosh, you know, when's the last time you cried? And he couldn't think of it. And he said, the only time I cry is when I watch Brian's song. If any of you guys remember that old movie from the 1970s, very sad sports movie. And so she put on Brian's song so that he could watch it and, and cry. But that was what she had to do to get him to be able to release the pain he was feeling over the loss of their pet. No judgment there. We have to do what we have to do to get back into alignment. Yeah, I get it. It's so true. I think that's common for a lot of men. Like, they have no idea. Like, what do you mean cry? Like, I don't, when was the last time I cried? I don't know. When was the last? Who died last? You know, it was basically <laughs> <laughs> like the only time they can make those connections. And yeah, it's so healthy to be able to do that. And especially if you are you know, an empath, because like, what is crying really? Just releasing energy. That's it, right? Just letting energy flow through you. And it's so helpful to be able to connect with that. So you can process things, right? So you're just processing something. If you cry as a way to release that energy. So now it's not stuck in your nervous system anymore. Yeah, if that helps any men listening to kind of get in that logical mind and look at it that way. Oh, I do that sometimes too. It can because you like won't even know why you're crying sometimes too. And it's like, it doesn't matter. You're just releasing energy. Because that happens to me all the time. Like, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, although even the big cry crying and then like that voice in my head like asking that and the other voice would be like doesn't matter we're just releasing energy you don't have to know what it is or or why it's happening (laughs) just energy flowing like that's it so sometimes surrender let it go yeah and people don't know how to grieve a lot of women don't actually too but this is video i usually send people our clients about grief learning how to grieve is so powerful so someone a friend of mine who we did like healing sessions for each other we were doing this together I was like I don't, let's work on that I don't, I don't know how to grieve and so it, i mean it was pretty simple it was basically like think of something really sad and so we like did it we were doing it 
and I brought something up. So this is something that happened in Afghanistan and you know, where I guess I can, yeah, I can share. It's not like a, too gruesome or anything, but basically, I, you know, I saw these people die. They, um, they, were, they weren't fellow soldiers. They were, but they stepped on an IED and they blew up. Right. And I had like close to no real like feelings around that for like a long time. Like, I didn't really know what to do with it. Like, I would see it like in my head at night for however many months afterwards, but like not in like a, to start not in, just like a numb way. It was just there. It wasn't like, it wasn't anything. And so, yeah, however many years later, this is, you know, doing that with this, uh, with my friend who so practicing grieving. So they just you know, brought that up and, you know, created this safe, sacred place and was able to like, you know, connect to what happened there and the energy and then grieve, but not, like not just grieve for it, more more so it was like, I could feel right being like that, that empath, I could feel I was grieving for everyone, everyone who bared witness that day, all the other, you know, people I deployed with, um, you know, and I could just like feel and then I had this really cool, like learning more about, you know, right, like I said, I didn't know I was an empath at the time, but then seeing how I was, right, I said, I, I started becoming like, very afraid at the end. And I could see like here, like it showed me this picture in my mind of how like this energy was like kind of like going into me. So it was almost like I was absorbing a lot of other people's fear as well. And that just like made it worse. And then like holding that in. And then so when I was able to connect with this and grieve, it was like I was grieving for all of us and you know, whoever the family of those people. And so this, so being able to grieve is is such a powerful practice, right? Because you're just processing you know, what's still stuck in your body. I think people's biggest fear, like when you say the first step to grieving is to think of something really sad. I know a lot of people are going to hear that and go, no, I don't want to do that. Because a lot of us have this fear. If we tap into that, it's like we're releasing the Hoover Dam. Like it's never going to stop. So I've heard people say that. <laughs> what advice would you have for people who feel like if I truly tap into that point of pain, it's just going to be out there and I'm, I'm not going to be able to control it and it's going to be overwhelming and I'll fall into depression. Emotions buried alive never die. <laughs> you know, so if you open that up, you're actually going to open your body and your release and you're going to feel better. But if, if you don't do it and your body's just going to get tighter and more constricted and you'll probably end up getting sick, honestly, if you're manifesting some type of disease. Um, so that reminds me of a story I actually heard someone tell where she said she felt that way too. She's like, if I cry, like um, it'll just never stop. But she's like, so she just gave herself permission. I'm just going to cry for however long it takes. And then so she said she did that. And then it was like three months later and her husband was like, you know, it's great that you're doing this, but are you, you'll be like done soon. <laughs> she was like, oh, maybe, maybe not. And so she actually gave herself permission to do that. And then would cry a little bit every day for months until she felt like it was cleared. Um, so yeah, like that's, don't be afraid, right? It's, it's in you one way or another, might, might as well just get it out. And if it takes months, what's well, better than living with it within you for the rest of your life? We had Rick Jaro on the show. I don't know if you've read him or, or seen him. He's wonderful. He writes about creating the work you love. And he tells a story very, very similar. This woman that he worked with, she took some time off. And when she came back, um, I, she might have been a fellow teacher at the university where he works. I'm not sure. But when she came back, she looked amazing. Like people were like, did you go to a spa for a year? Did you get a facelift? Like you look amazing. And he said to her, what did you do? You look so great. And she said, I cried for a year. <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds sounds right yeah I mean, imagine the like the, the all like how much lighter and just like releasing that burden and you know a lot of people won't um but like the people who are listening to this are the type of people who would right um it definitely does take courage and bravery uh to do that and if, you know if you're an empath too or, or even not like you know, it's, you're not just doing it for yourself, you're doing it for, you know, your children and all your ancestors and the people around you. Um, so it's really doing a great service to be able to do that. And, you, and it's just grieving isn't just like, oh, like what said, that was just a way to, to elicit an emotion to kind of kind of like how uh, you mentioned, like the friend who who needed to watch a movie to elicit something that was just using a kind of like trigger. But I, I can already say these, right? So my oldest son is three. And I already, already like have this feeling like, I think as soon as he's not a toddler, like I'm, I'm gonna have to grieve and probably cry that, you know, he'll never be a toddler again, right? Because it's just so right. beautiful. It's so exciting. So amazing. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're not going to last like this forever. Oh, except for yesterday. It's like, okay, when are you, when are you done? Yeah. yeah. So even like little things like that, um, but also not to mention like what that does for your children right, is very powerful because, you know, you're honoring them throughout their growth and not just holding on to them as a little baby that you don't want to let go of, but really just saying like, yeah, you're a growing human and you know, that toddler is no longer there and you can grieve, grieve that loss in a way. And, but like, you're also celebrating the beauty of it at the same time. So joy and sorrow and grief go hand in hand. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. There's this super sad essay I read on Facebook a couple of years ago, and it was from a mother talking about those stages. And she says, there's, there's always a last day that they came to your room in the middle of the night to climb in and snuggle. There's the last day that you change their diaper. And we're not even aware of those last days because, you know, you are so busy in it. Every time I read that, I cry. Mm. You're right. It is. It's, it's a grief. It's a joy. It's an honor. And so, okay. So you, you trigger yourself to feel the emotion. Then you feel the emotion. Then what's the next staging of grief? Well, there's a, a lot of experts in great books on this that know far more about it than me. The way I see when it comes to work, how I work on these things or how I might advise someone, you know, but if they're just doing it on their own, right? So if you are able to connect with emotion, really just trusting your own inner experience, right? Becoming your own healer um, and seeing what comes up. How do you need to write a letter? You know, I, I wrote a letter to an old friend. I didn't send it to him. It was just a way to acknowledge like a friendship that had died and let go of. And then it turns out it didn't. It resurfaced, but what really happened, what I really was doing was let go of my expectations from it. So you're sitting there, maybe you're in your own experience and just see what comes up, right? Learn to be still, you know, is it, is it tears? Do you, you know, what do you feel called to do? Do you feel called to call someone, to have a conversation with someone, to, you know, to write, to write a letter, to do some kind of art, to scream, right? To go, you know, there's a lot of different techniques to just, you know, release that energy. Maybe, yeah, find like a safe space to, to scream and see where you feel it in your body and just, you know, let it out. There could be, yeah, so many different things. I think you just need to start with being being still and open and then trusting your inner guidance. Well said. You talk so much about the body-mind-spirit connection, which is so important. When someone comes to you for coaching, do you work with them with all three of those goals in tandem? Or do you start with physical health and then move to emotional health? What's your process if someone comes to you? Yeah, it depends where that where they're at. My preference is, is to start with like the the deeper like subconscious stuff, just kind of you know create some space, get some momentum, so that, like the the emotional side. But uh, there's definitely true that if somebody is like just wildly like unhealthy or just has like very um, their self care practices right or just not almost like non existent eating lots of like processed food, no movement, no water, then that's a pretty easy place to start. Like, all right, let's at least get you some, you know, good food and, and water and that kind of stuff in you so that you can start doing this stuff because otherwise you're really just going to be fighting an uphill battle. If I'm with someone, I like to spend most of my time going, yeah, working, going on through people's inner experience, letting these answers come to them, releasing any kind of emotions and stuff like that. And then kind of, you know, giving some action items that you can they can start working on on the physical side and different like practices to put in place there. And I think that's you know, really helpful there because yeah, even if you're super unhealthy, right, it, it can be like it's, uh, these these words too are hard to uh, like trying to think of better words than than using this. But you know, if your nervous system is being almost like you know attacked or poisoned with you know too much toxins, then you're not gonna your your intuition is gonna be off. You know, you're not gonna be able to connect with your intuition to, to God and to spirit if you have like a completely fried nervous system. So if you're somebody is at that point, then yeah, it'd be good to start with the physical health stuff, calm the nervous system. But otherwise, I uh, I think it is healthy to, healthy help helpful to dive straight into yeah, let's see what's going on in the subconscious and the emotions and like let's make some space. But everyone's also different too. Like I've worked with people who one session and then boom, they take off on their own and you know they lost 100 pounds and then just completely kept it off you know from like this one powerful experience and then i have other clients who do a lot a lot of healing work with and then they they still kind of maintain a heavier weight and struggle with it um so it really depends on what your personal journey is and then you know for some of those instances um but like the messages is clear with the weight like you know one of them comes to mind is like this is the message that she got was basically like you will lose the weight right you'll become lighter when you start living lightly and then so that was like very clear and it's so you know starts fighting trying to do all these different like things to lose the weight and then we check back in and it's like so the past like how many would you say you're living living lately and oh definitely not <laughs> right so it's like there's no everyone's on their own different journey it's going to look so so different but so it's really is the practice of what is that journey what is that path what are my own inner messages and how can i you know follow that guidance to the best of my ability what are some foods that negatively stimulate the nervous system? Is it mainly sugar? Well, sugar is the most obvious and first one that comes to mind. And well, excess sugar, too much sugar and added sugar, not like the sugar that's naturally occurring in food. Um, any like food dyes and additives, probably not helpful. 
and and then you have processed food like excess processed foods i'd say that kind of stuff and then if you have any food allergies or then yeah that's going to be so there's a lot of different like things that might be unique to you that you know it might affect someone might be a great food for someone else but then for someone else you know it might make them feel awful so it really is the cosmic triangle. I mean, it really is this combination of you can't just work on fitness. You can't just work on diet. You have to, in tandem, work on the emotional and the spiritual blocks to overall health. I think so, but it depends on what your definition of health is and, and what kind of health do you want to experience. So for me, I have pretty high standards, right? I want like absolute vibrant health. I want to just feel incredible the vast majority of the time I want to age gracefully, you know, live a long, happy life, you know, um, that's, and then that's what I want to experience. So we have the the things that I do might be a little more than somebody else who doesn't necessarily, doesn't excite them as much. And also my definition of health is sometimes I say, I say it wrong, I should know a little bit, but basically, basically it's a, a calm mind, a fluid body, an open heart and an expressive soul. So if I am doing things each day that in are in alignment with that, then, you know, then that is in alignment with health. So instead of looking at health as an endpoint, I think if you look at it as a process, then you'll have a much smoother, peaceful journey with it. Yeah, it's got to be a process. I look at like Mark Wahlberg. Have you ever read his schedule? He wakes up at 3 a.m. No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, you have to Google Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> schedule. He wakes up at 3 a.m. and works out till like 6. And we're like The Rock. I, I read his diet. He allows himself one cheat day a year. And that's Christmas Day or Thanksgiving Day, one of those. Other than that, he is on this really intense fitness and diet regimen. And sometimes I read those things and I'm like, oh, that's not me. So I think you're right. It has to be your definition of, of health. Yeah, that's definitely not my definition of health. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I have this idea that like you and your wife wake up in the morning and you put like a pound of spinach into a blender. And you... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wish I could say it was like that. But uh, uh, I, I am definitely tend to be more on that, like, I guess, discipline side. It's just easier for me, like, because it excites me and I, and I, I, I I feel great and I don't like not feeling good because I've not I felt not good before and and you know it's connected to my values and having a higher purpose like if I didn't have a higher purpose I wouldn't do what I do and you know eat how I eat I I still eat like people think I'm like yeah I'm not like this super clean diet like, like, but um I was gonna say I still eat like desserts I'll have you know a beer alcohol occasionally but um so yeah a values and purpose and you know for me having owning like businesses I, I just know if I'm not on top of my health game I don't I don't get anything done I just, I won't, I, I don't, don't feel good. And I just kind of, you know, go back to like how I felt in college was like, yeah, I, I just won't get anything done. So if I want to be like this role model to my sons, and if I want to have successful businesses and a healthy marriage, I just know that I have to be healthy. Whereas like some people can be super productive while drinking like soda and eating cheeseburgers. I have no idea how that is absolutely not me. So yeah, it's definitely connected to like my my values and things like that. And then also, I noticed this a lot too, because I coach at a, you know, a, a gym It's just this like this go, 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 right? Like people like Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg and yeah, you know, the rock are just like exemplified as like, wow, like, almost like a gold standard. Whereas, you know, I, whereas I see people I see people working out way too hard being way too way too strict on their diets you know getting injured not feeling good and there's you know even with the breath work now so that's like my latest thing um you know doing a lot of breath work you know doing it with clients and hosting some classes teaching kids and right everyone's like oh wim hof method yeah like everything right everything's just so hard so intense like working out harder doing breathing harder and i don't think that is healthy that's not balanced like those practices have their place but it's balance that uh, like maybe work out intense a couple times a week you know if that excites you and then focus on more like gentle movements and just moving throughout the day and finding a movement practice that you like and you know even with the breath work right do some intense breath work but you know more so make it more focused on the gentle breathing the slower breathing the calm and always balancing that yin and the yin and yang right even within your workouts within your breath sessions anything it needs to be balanced and there's way too much of that that yang energy in the society where everything's like, right stricter on the diet stricter on the you know, just work out harder work out more i can't believe like so many people i didn't like i've been you know so in my own little world right only working online doing my thing so now that i coach at like this gym with people who aren't don't like come to me for like this stuff that i do 
I forget like how many people just are like still caught up in that mindset of just, you know, dieting and, you know, working out, it was just eat less and work out more. I was like, wow, I thought people, I didn't know people still, you know, thought that was was the way to do things. Um, But it is deeply ingrained. So I'm like, no, eat more nourishing food, probably work out a little less or at least less intensely and just have fun and, you know, enjoy your life and enjoy your body, nourish it and, you know, take it easy or do some stillness practices more than anything. Uh, That's how you're going to make it a lifestyle change rather than, you know, a quick burst to get ready for summer. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask you a question that I was asked all the time when my kids were the ages yours are, how do you find time to meditate? Yeah. I I mean, you you make time, right? Connecting it to those, uh, the values and everything. And uh, so it's, you know, easier for me than it is my wife, but you know, she also kind of can get caught in those like excuse making kind of patterns too, which is a lot of times comes down to what it really is. I, um, you, ha- you have to prioritize it and see the value in it. And so for me, you know, my, even like going through like courses and trainings, yeah, I just made like such a strong, because right now I'm, I used to do it just shorter. And that's a lot of times my advice, just do it short. It doesn't take much. What's the minimal effective dose? Same thing with exercise. You don't have time, work out eight minutes a day, six minutes. Like you will improve. You will feel better. I promise. So same thing with meditation six minutes a day, you know, eight minutes a day. When I first meditated, I did eight, eight minutes a day. Um, and then, you know, however many weeks in, like I noticed a significant, significant benefit. So that's one, one way is just go for a shorter time. And then the other way is, you know, you have to prioritize it, right. Connecting it to those values, you know, what, you know, what it gives you purpose. What are you excited about? You know, what kind of role model do you want to be to your children? Find something that's going to, you know, f- give you some fuel to make the time to do those important things. I happen to like waking up early so I can just do it then or, um, you know, in the evening, try to stay awake. Well, <laughs> after putting the kids to bed and just, you know, I just I get it done because it because it feels good, really. You got to fit it in when you can. I used to put a pot of water on the oven to, to boil for spaghetti for dinner and I'd skip out for those eight minutes to meditate. Like you just have to you have to fit it in. Like you're saying, what's your favorite form of meditation? Do you do guided? Do you do uh, just breath focus? Right now, breath work. Yeah. Doing like a full breath work thing where I'm doing something movement to open up uh, and then a couple of different breathing practices. And then at the end of it, um, just stillness connecting with the breath. So that's definitely my favorite form. I've done a lot of different yeah, styles and that's what I'm into right now. I've even, even sat in the woods for a few days and <laughs> no food, no water, sitting against a tree. Uh, I couldn't wow, say your own vision time, quest. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I did. That was, so yeah, so breath work, I think. And, and a lot of people say breath work is helpful too, because when people have the excuse of, oh, I don't like it because my mind, the thoughts go this and that, uh, it gives you something to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if, you know, so you can't, it kind of gets rid of that excuse. And then, yeah, and then finishing with just the, the gentle breaths. I love the gentle breaths at the end, like breathing as gently as possible. And then after you've done some work to open and clear, and I, I think that can get you set in a, a really good position to do some meditation. If you don't have time, if you only have eight minutes, five minutes, just, just sit, <laughs> just sit. Yeah. You can do a one minute meditation. For sure. This has been so helpful, Mike. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to us about your life story and really sharing your journey into becoming who you are now. It, it just feels like you're doing really big work and you're going to be an example for so many people on how to how to really align these different aspects of ourselves and and stay in that energy of trust and patience and focus. If you guys want to check him out, please go to healthyempath.com. He has a great podcast. I've been on it. You can listen to our interview. That was really, really fun. We will put the link in the show notes and I'll post another link on our Facebook page. So thanks again, Mike. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to express myself. <laughs> yes. And I, I hope people reach out to you because you've got a lot of a lot of great inspiring advice and wisdom to share. Thanks everyone for listening. As always, please remember to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.